change. We refuse the challenge. Lord, I pray that we welcome it in. We love you, God. Have your way with every single penny. Multiply it, Lord, for your kingdom's work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give Pastor Vanna a big, big warm welcome. All right. Good morning, everybody. Mary's got me all fired up. So encouraging. So uh, today we're going to do our best to finish Philippians, our study through the book of Philippians. And you guys know how it goes when uh, when I've been gone for a week or two, I got a lot to say. So I'm going to jump right in so that we can get to it and and hopefully get through it. You know, our focus has been on community. Our focus has been on unity during this series. I think personally that as we've looked at um, Philippians, it's been helpful. We're looking at a church, what it takes to create community, what it takes to build and maintain unity, right? That's the whole story that we've seen so far. Um, As I look around even our church this morning, and I look at the, uh, the Christmas decorations. Hang on here. There we go. I think I'm loose again here. As I look at the Christmas decorations, as I look at what's going to be coming up, I'm also excited about what we're going to be covering the next couple of weeks as we lead into our Christmas service on the 20th. And I was thinking as Mary was sharing just about sometimes the discipline, sometimes the difficulty, you know, we've learned a lot, but I think we've also had a a lot of difficulty in this series as we've looked at the Philippians and the church in Philippi. I think there's been some things that have, uh, light has been uh, shining into certain areas that have forced us to kind of wrestle. And I thought about Christmas, this idea that we can all see it a couple weeks ahead of us now. We know that it's there. But before Christmas, you have to go through, have you been naughty or nice? <laughs> you have to go through some wrestling uh, to figure out what Christmas is going to be like. And I, and I thought this morning as Mary was sharing, just this idea that we're going to finish Philippians, we're going to finish strong, Paul is going to finish strong in this letter, um, but it's almost like going to the doctor to get, uh, to get a physical, find out what's really going on with you, and then later on you get the healing, later on you get that surgery, later on you get that prescription, right? So in a couple weeks, if this is hard for you today, don't worry, you're going to get Jesus, you're going to get the birth of Christ, you're going to get the answer to all the problems, but uh, there may be a little bit of a, of a physical going on this morning, if that's all right with you. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And it's not by my design, it's by God's design. He, he told us to go through this book, and here we are. So before I get into uh, to this week, I want to thank Gary for, for speaking during this series. I want to thank Mary for speaking during this series. It was just very, very encouraging and strengthening and reminded me uh, what it's like to be part of team, what it's like to see God moving through a church, uh, just very encouraging, very helpful the last couple of weeks as they've shared. So we started off this series in Acts chapter 16. I want to just touch on the big idea, I think, when we looked at Acts chapter 16, how the Philippian church started, I would say that the big idea is birth, right? There was a birth of this idea within Paul that I've got to get away from all these Jews and I've got to get to the Gentiles. I want to be a missionary. I want to travel the world. I want to get the good news of Jesus out to people who haven't heard it yet. Then we saw the birth of discipleship, right, with P- Timothy and Paul on his way to Philippi. He meets Timothy and they enter into something, his birth, this relationship of discipleship. 
Then we saw the birth of fully baptized, spirit-filled believers in Philippi. Remember, Lydia was down by the side of the river. She's praying. Paul shows up, and next thing you know, they're getting baptized, filled with the Spirit. Jailers are getting saved and getting filled with the Spirit. This birth of baptism and fully submerged submission and uh, uh, commitment to Jesus. We saw the birth of a body. All right. Once these people are getting baptized and understanding who Jesus really is, they begin to gather together. They're meeting in Lydia's home. Paul gets uh, um, uh, imprisoned. He comes out. He goes to Lydia's house. They're all gathering. A body has actually been birthed. A group of people gathering to focus on the Lord Jesus. And then we saw the birth of order and accountability and structure. Next thing you know, there's actual rules for the church. There's doctrine that's being uh, communicated. There are expectations that are now being set for what it means to be the body of believers. So we saw that in Acts chapter 16, the big idea was birth. As we got into our series, chapter one, I think the big ideas for community and unity uh, may have been endurance and sacrifice. Endurance and sacrifice. Philippians 1.5 says, uh, Paul says, I'm thankful for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you need endurance. This is an ongoing work from the very first day, and now it's been a decade, and he who started the work is going to finish the work. You have to endure. There's no quitting. There's no giving up. He says, I'm thankful that I'm writing to a group of believers who are still there. Right? The other big idea, um, other than endurance, was sacrifice. Philippians 1:21. Paul says, for, me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Right? He wants the church to understand that for him, living is Christ, which means sacrifice. Everything, every day, and all for the blessing of others. Remember Paul was saying that in chapter 1? He says, I don't know. I'd rather die and go be with Christ. It's best for me, but I'm going to sacrifice what I want for what's best for you. If I stay and if I minister and if I help and if I lead, it's going to be a blessing to you and there's going to be fruit. So he says, we need endurance. We've got to keep going till the, till, the, till the wheels fall off, till it's over. And we need to sacrifice every day along the way. Those are the big ideas, I think, in chapter one. Chapter two, big ideas, community and unity may have been the mind of Christ and a focus on salvation. Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only or look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Paul's telling the church in Philippi, you need a new mind. It's got to be the mind of Christ, right? You cannot be who you used to be. You cannot think how you used to think. You've got to get the mind of Christ. This is how community is going to work. If we don't all have the mind of Christ, there will be no community. Then in Philippians 2.12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not, in, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So not only do we need the mind of Christ, but we've got to stay focused on salvation. How many of us can say this morning, honestly, that that is the primary focus of your walk with God is salvation, your salvation and the salvation of others. When you think about what's going on, what you're going through, what you're enduring, how hard it is, what's good in the church, what's bad in the church, what direction am I going to go in 2021? Are you saying I am going to be focused on salvation? What I want more in 2021 is to end it saved and to see those who are not saved get saved. Or do we have other priorities for 2021? Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Nothing matters more than that. 
These are big ideas if you're going to build a community, and if you're going to build unity. In chapter three, the big ideas for community and unity, they may have been reminders and moving forward. Philippians 3.1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for, to, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Mary preached very passionately about this idea that, like, look, you're going to be reminded. Paul says, I'm going to write the same things to you. I'm going to preach the same things to you. When we get on the phone, we're going to talk, and at the end, I'm going to remind you of something that I already told you. Why? It's not just tedious. It's safe for you. It's good for you. You need to hear it over and over and over again. Why? Because number one, if you're not doing it, you need to start doing it. Number two, if you're already doing it, you need to learn how to do it with the right heart. Become that. You know, Mary said today, it's not just putting that into the basket, your money. It's putting your heart into the basket. So that's why we got to remind you every single week. And then once you begin to put your heart into the basket, you're going to keep getting reminded. Why? Because eventually you'll forget, even though you're doing it the right way now, you'll forget why you're doing it. It's so good to be reminded. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot that this is a heart thing. I forgot that this is actually a way that God is disciplining me and helping me. And maybe this will help me help others. I need to be reminded. It's not tedious it's safe then in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 it says now that not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me brethren I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if, anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Paul says, I'm moving forward. I forget what's behind. I'm going forward. I haven't got everything that I intend to get, but I know that God called me and he grabbed me and he grabbed me for a purpose. And now I need to grab hold of whatever it is that he grabbed a hold of me for. I can't go backwards. I can't think about the past. I have to keep moving forward. And then Paul says, listen, and if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, just keep moving forward and eventually God will tell you that I'm right. <laughs> I love Paul. Isn't that what he says here? Therefore, let as many as, up as, as, up, as, as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. you disagree. Paul says, you disagree with me, it's okay. Just keep moving forward, and then God will tell you I'm right. <laughs> so good. We got to move forward. We got to be reminded, and we got to trust God. Amen. Those are big ideas in three chapters. Let's see what he has in chapter four. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this study through the book of Philippians. We thank you that we got to see in the book of Acts this church being planted. We thank you that we get to see a community being built we thank you that we get to see what it takes for unity, Lord, to be maintained. We thank you that Paul is writing this letter after a decade of the church being in existence to help them continue to grow, to continue to move forward, Lord. We thank you that we see love, and we also thank you that we see correction, Lord God. We ask that you would help us, Lord, not to just see this as words written on a page, not to see this as something thousands of years in the past, but to see this as good seed, Lord God, for us right here in this place this morning that can bear fruit for us for so many more tomorrows, Lord God. Let us embrace your word. It is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is capable of cutting right down to our hearts, Lord, and changing us forever. I ask that you would have your way in this place, Lord. I ask that you would prepare us for Christmas. 
Lord, we know that there was no room for you in the end, Lord God. Let this end of this series, let this service this morning make room in our hearts for your birth. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, so big ideas of one through three. There's a lot that we just covered right now, but imagine what we've covered in the whole series. And he's ending this, this, um, this book, this letter, and he's saying, therefore, so everything from the first three chapters, and now he's going to bring it to a close. Therefore, because of all these things, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. Before I even get into that, I want to say that Paul is signing off. The idea that you need to have in your mind this morning is like Paul's written and he's saying, all right, I'm going to bring this thing to a close. I'm signing off, right? There's all this history of this church. Paul brings this letter to a close and it's the only letter that we have to the Philippians. So it's a big deal. Imagine this is the one thing they're going to hear. This is the one thing that's going to be um, um, protected and be handed down through generations and generations all the way to us. And this is how he wants to sign off. When you sign off, what do you want to be? You want to be clear. You want to clarify some things that might be confusing. And you want to make sure that you include anything that you may have left out. Right? So think about Paul. He's saying, is there anything I've said that maybe they need a little bit more clarity? Is there anything that I've said that maybe I haven't said that I want to make sure I get into this letter? Right? When you sign off from things, many of us have had to sign off. Many of us have, have had to sign off from things and sign off from people. We do the same thing, right? What's the last thing I want to say? What's the last thing I want to do? What, what is it that I want to leave with them? And even if we don't actually take the opportunity to say those things, we definitely think about them and pray about them, right? That's the framework for what Paul's going to say here at the end. So again, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, stand, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. What does he want them to know? You are loved, and I long for you. I think one of the great struggles of humanity, one of the great struggles of relationships is the gap between reality and experience. That's our struggle. What is the reality, the, the, the truth, right? And what is it that we're actually experiencing? And there sometimes is a huge gap between those two things. The reality is Paul loves and longs for the Philippians, but in their experience, they may not feel that way. They may feel abandoned, and they may feel consistently condemned. Paul, where you been? You said you were coming back. You said we were important. You said that we were like your favorite church. We haven't seen you for years. You're running around to all these other churches and doing all these other things. We haven't seen you. He says, no, but you're my beloved, and I long for you. Well, that's not how it feels. So what's real? I know the reality in my marriage is that we love each other unconditionally, but I also know the experience in any given week can feel extremely conditional. <laughs> See, there's a gap between the reality and the experience. I love her unconditionally. There's nothing she could do to make me leave her or for, me to, or for her to leave me. We are fully committed to one another. There's no conditions. However, sometimes it feels like if you didn't say nice things to me, I don't like you. If you didn't feed me before a certain hour, 
I'm going to be mean to you. You see what I'm saying? There's so many conditions. So what's real? The conditions and the experience in a week or the reality, the truth of the word that there are no conditions. I love you unconditionally. Where do you live? Do you live in the truth, the reality, or do you live in the experiences? Paul tells the Philippians in his closing not to listen to their feelings, but to trust in his words. He says, listen, regardless of how you feel, you are loved and you are longed for. And then look at what Paul does. He shifts from the Philippians to himself and he says that they are his joy and his crown. You need to know that you're loved and longed for, but I want you to know that for me, you're my joy and you're my crown. This last week, I got to spend a good amount of time with all my kids, but, but particularly Nate. We had this opportunity just to be the two of us and have a chance to talk. And uh, we had this conversation. I was telling him, like, like, Nate, man, you're my guy. You're my firstborn. You're my joy. And you're my crown. What I began to realize is that his experience was pretty consistently something other than that. But the reality is, you're still my firstborn. I still remember when you were born, I was working at a refinery in Santa Fe Springs, and I literally could not stop thinking about this kid. I'd be calling Mary, tell her to send me pictures. I'd leave work early. I'd be like, I don't care if I get fired. I got to see this kid. But the reality and the experience can be, there can be such a big gap between the two. So as I'm sitting there and I'm telling him these things, right, I see like a tear begin to come down his eye. And I know what it's from. It's, it's from his experience being so different than what I know the reality to be. So as I'm telling him this, uh, we grab a hold of each other and we start praying together, right? So he prays first and he says, um, Lord, help me. I have it here. I want to make sure I say it the way they did. He says, God, please help me to stop fighting for position. I didn't say that to him. I didn't say that to him, but he knew what I was saying. He knew that when I'm telling him, you don't have, like, you're my guy. You don't have to fight for anything. You don't have to, if you don't feel that in the reality, know that that is the reality. It's the truth. If your experience is something different, this is the truth, son. And what he internalized and what he wanted to pray to God is, God, then I've got to stop fighting for position if my dad's telling me I already got it. And we cried and we prayed. This is what Paul is saying to a church full of people. You're loved, you're longed for, you are my joy, and you are my crown. And then at the end of verse 1, that's why he says, so stand fast in the Lord. Stop acting like babies. <laughs> Stop acting a fool. Stop pushing your sister and your brother around. Stop tattling on them all the time. You're my joy. You're my crown. You don't have to fight for position. You've already got it. So stand fast in the Lord. Be who I've called you to be. So good. Verse 2. Paul goes on. He says, And I implore Eudia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men, and the Lord is at hand. 
That's verse 3 through verse 5. So good. <laughs> Paul is addressing church drama. The end of a, such a significant letter, and what does Paul want to do? He wants to address church drama. Apparently, there are two women in the church, and it's gotten so bad between the two of them that he's got to address it publicly to the whole church, to the leaders and to the elders and to the deacons, and now to a church 2,000 years later in the city of Brea. He's got to talk about these two women that are acting a fool. He says, tell Eudia and Sintite to be of the same mind. And which mind is that? The mind of the Lord, the mind of Christ. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it good how this stuff kind of connects? Here's the important thing about these two women. They're leaders in the church. He says they've been laboring for the gospel. They labor with me. They labor with Clement. They've been working hard. These aren't lazy uh, women who don't really know the Lord, who aren't invested in what God is doing who just come to cause drama, these are actually leaders within the church that are acting a fool. He says their names are written in the book of life. They're saved, full on, 100%. Paul, if you remember in, in chapter one, he says, I'm writing this to the deacons, to the elders, to the leaders, right? So he says to them, help these women get it worked out. And what is he doing? He's stressing how important division within leadership is. Look at that, right? I ain't talking about the whole church. They can act a fool. Take care of them. But he says with the leaders, with these women, they need to have the mind of Christ, and you other leaders need to help them get the mind of Christ, get it worked out. There cannot be this kind of division in leadership. I'll be honest with you this morning. As a pastor, there's been nothing more difficult for me than division within leadership. When I hear that this person doesn't like that person, this person isn't talking to that person, this person wants to do something different than what the rest of us are doing, this person doesn't believe in the direction that the church is going, by far the most difficult thing for me as a pastor. It's heartbreaking. I was on a Zoom conference this week with about 10 different pastors from different areas and I would say at least half of them, this was their prayer request, was God help us with division within leadership. It was encouraging <laughs> because then you know like you ain't the only one, but it was also discouraging because it's like, man, how are we gonna advance the kingdom if the leaders can't even be on the same page? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we have to all agree 100% of the time on 100% of the issues. Somebody say amen. amen. But what it does mean is that we have to surrender and we have to understand order and we have to fight for the mind of Christ. I don't have to agree with everybody and everybody doesn't have to agree with me. But what we all have to do is surrender. And then what we all have to do is understand order. And then what we all have to do is say, make sure we have the mind of Christ. It's like being in a marriage. The, the husband and wife aren't always going to agree, but they're going to surrender and have compassion for one another. And then they're going to say, where does order affect the decision that we're going to make? And then they're going to say, now that we've done all that, do we have the mind of Christ? Is God saying, yes, move forward? It doesn't change in the church. It doesn't change in a marriage. It doesn't change with parenting. What we have to do is put community before our crisis of personal, our personal crisis. Community before your personal crisis. If you're a part of a community of leadership, that comes before your personal crisis. If you're a part of a church, that community comes before your personal crisis. 
God uses those communities to help you through your personal crisis. But when I, when I put my personal crisis above the community, that's when problems happen. When you put your personal crisis above that community of family or church or whatever it might be, that's when the problems happen. What does that actually look like? I saw a picture I want to share with you guys. Not a physical picture, just this picture in my mind. So here's scenario one. Picture 15 people pulling on a rope, right? They're all pulling in the same direction. They're all trying to gain ground. They're all trying to advance the kingdom. And then one person decides to shift and begin to pull the other way. That's scenario one. That's the vision, but that's scenario one. Scenario two, picture 15 people and they're all pulling on this rope and they're all pulling in the same direction. They're all trying to advance the kingdom, right? Just like these two women in this church, they're all saved. There's no devils in the group. They're all just pulling, pulling the same direction. Again, one person decides to turn and pull the other direction, but instead of just turning and pulling the other direction, whoever's close to them, they begin to tell them. Now they're face to face, right? You know why I'm pulling this way? Hey, hey, you know why I'm pulling this way? So this person and that person, they don't turn yet. This person doesn't turn yet, but I guarantee you this, they're not pulling as hard as they were before, right? Scenario number three, last one I saw. 15 people and they're pulling in one direction. They're all going in the same direction. Here they get to that same point and this person, instead of turning, they begin to say, you know what? I'm having some concerns, but as soon as we stop, as soon as we come up for air, as soon as we get to that meeting that we're supposed to have, I'm going to go and figure out who's at the front end of this thing and I'm going to have a conversation with them. But until then, I'm going to pull as hard as I can. I'm not going to discourage the people behind me. I'm not going to discourage the people in front of me. I'm going to keep pulling. We don't have to agree 100%, but we got to put the community before our personal crisis. I'm actually going to pull harder than I've ever pulled before until I have that conversation. What happens when we do that other thing and we turn? What happens when we, we try to have those conversations while we're pulling? It's like going to a general in the middle of a war and saying, hey, I want to have a talk. I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm getting bombed from every direction. It's time to fight, not time to talk. Grab the rope and pull. The way Jesus says it was, P Peter turns to Jesus and says, there's no way we're going to let you be, let me do that right, there's no way we're going to let you be crucified, Jesus, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan! Peter's a believer, but that spirit is of the devil. Another thing that happens, if you keep pulling and you keep pulling and you wait till we've taken a break, you wait till we've stopped, you wait till there's an opportunity to talk about the concerns that you have, you know what happens when you get to the front? When you're like, okay, it's break time. Where's that leader that we've all been pulling in the direction that they've told us? You get there and you realize, oh man, he's on a cross. Oh man, he's got holes in his hands. Oh man, he's got blood coming out of everywhere. And then you say to yourself, hey, I want to tell you a few things that I think we could be doing differently. No, what you say to yourself is actually whatever direction you say we're going is the direction we're going. I'm so glad I kept pulling because I saw so many things. I wanted to stop here, but I kept pulling anyway. And it's like, oh wow, I didn't know that that was going to be up here. I didn't know that that was going to be up here. I still want to talk. I don't want to talk anymore. 
I just want to surrender. I just want to follow. Paul says to the leaders, you got to have this mind. There is no other. There is no other way. At the end of this rebuke of division within leadership, Paul says, rejoice and be gentle, for the Lord is at hand. <laughs> Why rejoice? Rejoice because the struggle is real, but it's actually how we're trained and discipled. He says, rejoice about that. Get excited about it. Hebrews 12, 11, it says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He says, it sucks when it's happening. It's painful when it's happening and nobody likes it. But afterwards, there's good fruit to everyone who has been trained by it. I'll be honest with you this morning. The gentleness part is hard for me. But Paul doesn't let anybody off the hook. He says, you've got to be trained by it. It's going to be hard. But then he also says to the Philippians, you should be known by your gentleness and kindness. I think God is saying to me personally, there's only so much chastening and training that people can endure, right? There's some truth and reality to that. But the Lord's also been telling me that uh, time is also short for us to get things right. Like there's a balance there, right? You can only handle so much chastening. You can only handle so much training. Like I need a day off. I need a cheat day. But time is short. There's work to be done. Then God's been telling me, if division is the only option, though, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, I can't do pulling in two different directions. I'd rather all pull in the same direction very, very slowly. <laughs> or just all decide that we're not going to pull in any particular direction. But to try to pull in one direction and then be pulling against each other, I personally, I just can't roll like that. So then back to that kindness thing, though. I also feel God telling me personally, if you can't be kind, like God says, hey, you got to make a choice. <laughs> if you can't be kind, nothing else is going to work. So you don't deserve to shepherd if there's no kindness. Decisions, decisions. <laughs> I love Paul's end of this letter. He's like, nobody's off the hook. The bar is going to be high. And you need to get with it, get right or get left. Endure chastening. It's going to be hard. Be kind, compassionate, considerate, she considerate, shepherd with love. Time is short. Make up your mind. Decisions, decisions. You know what it sounds like? Sounds like something he said earlier. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This ain't no game. Our leader died for this. People are giving their whole lives for this. It ain't about what you want and how comfortable you are in the process. It's life and death. If you feel a little down at this point, I think Paul knew that, and then he says, I got some good news. <laughs> Verse 6. 
Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, it's hard. This is leading up to Christmas. It ain't Christmas yet. I know it's hard, so let me tell you, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. Pray. There are times when I feel myself getting anxious and angry and overwhelmed as a man, as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as a pastor, as a leader. There are a lot of roles that I have, and in all of them, I get anxious, I get angry, I get frustrated, I get tired, I get worried. I have those seasons, because I'm human like everybody else here. I'm gonna be 40 in a couple of months, and for the first time, recently, within the last couple of uh, weeks specifically, months maybe, uh, I've started to feel physical pain associated with anxiousness or stress. Like when people used to say, I have a stress pain, I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, that's not real. It's real. I think I'm in pretty decent shape and everything too. And I woke up not too long ago and like my neck wouldn't work. Like literally I was stuck like this. And I've been frustrated and angry, anxious about some things. And like, I didn't connect the dots immediately. But as I continued to struggle with things, the pain continued to get worse. Couldn't look down, couldn't look up, couldn't turn. It was like you've been in a car accident. And it's not like the ones where you just sleep wrong. You got a little kink in your neck. It would not go away. I was eating ibuprofen like vitamins all day throughout the day. So... Partially, we've taken time throughout the year, but, but specifically took a couple of weeks off just to pray, just to ask God, just to cry out to God, like we see in the scripture that Paul's telling us to do here. So I didn't do any of the things that I typically do for the church or with the church or surrounding, focused on the church. Uh, but I did thank God. I made my request made known to God. And it was extremely ugly at times and extremely beautiful at times. You guys know what it's like when your prayers are like that? Like you're, one moment you're like, oh, and the sun is shining and it's like you're with God. And other moments you're like throwing stuff and God's like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, I know, but I can't stop. <laughs> but what's so cool about it is there were several times where waves of peace washed over me. And that's what Paul's talking about in the scripture. He says, you'll have a peace that surpasses understanding. He doesn't say the drama goes away. He doesn't say like these, this uncertainty or the, the difficulties go away. What he says is, you'll have a peace that surpasses understanding. Why am I feeling peace? Why am I feeling your presence? Why are you showing up in the middle of all this ugliness? Because I'm God and I love you. Right. I love what he says in uh, verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The only one who can guard your heart and the only one who can guard your mind is Jesus. If any of you are half as crazy as I am, you know you need those things to be guarded. <laughs> the safest place is not in my hands for my heart or my mind. The safest place is to be guarded by Jesus. That's the peace that surpasses understanding. Verse 8, let's keep moving. Finally, Brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. How many of us can get trapped in our minds replaying the negative all the time? The things that make you angry, the people that upset you, the things that you wish were different. And we play that on repeat all day. 
And Paul is saying, anything good, meditate on that. If it's pretty, if it's nice, if it's soft, if it's happy, if it makes you laugh. He says, just think about this stuff. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. So practical, right? Any of those things, he says, if you would just meditate on those things, you're going to be so much better off. Because if you want to focus on drama, there's more than enough to take your whole 24 hours. So I want to share a song with you guys. Um, And it's a really good song. It's called Most Beautiful or So In Love. You know it's a good song when they got to give it two names. They didn't even know what they wanted to name it. Maybe there's division on the worship team. They're like, no, I think it should be called this. Anyway, point is, the song is about looking, looking at God and then God looking at us. And I I just, I've been listening to it on repeat for, for, I don't know, months now. And as I'm going through this service in particular, in this portion, verse eight, we're talking about meditating on these good things. I was listening to the song and it's like, this is it. This is what we need to be looking at God and realize that he's looking at us. And it's this idea that words can't even compare to what that experience is like when we're able to enter into it. Um, What we find is love. What we find is beauty. uh, And all it takes is one look. That's kind of the the premise of the song. Right. So if if we're talking about meditating on these things in verse eight, which we'll ask him to leave it up there. um, Just one look at any of these things and particularly God. Um, So I want to fix our eyes on that. It's a bit of a long song, so I'll I'll stop it at some point. But I just want you to listen to the words and and see if this idea of meditating on these good things can be a blessing to you.
Finish up, I'll fix my 
That song's going to go on for 12 minutes. I, I ought to let it keep going, but another one of the blessings of a small church, we can just stop service and play songs. So good, though, huh? Everything changes. I'll never be the same. Just one look. See, verse 8, that's one of the things I love about worship. Verse 8, that's what Paul is saying, right? Like, meditate on these things. Just look upon these things. Fix your eyes on heaven. Focus on the heavenly things, not the earthly things. And everything can be changed in just one look. In these seasons that we go through, I'm trying, I want to encourage you, like I've tried to over the years, I think, like, there's nothing like worship. There's nothing like worship. You better find a song that you, you have to put on repeat to the point where everybody around you gets mad at you because you've been listening to it for a month. But I think God blesses our worshipers with an ability to lead us that way so that we can encounter God and have things change for us, have an atmosphere change, have a, a perspective change. It's so good. Give me a few more minutes. We'll see, we'll see how far we get. Verse 9. Paul says, the, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Church, we need more follow me, men and women of God. It can't come from a place of personal pride or arrogance, but it can and should come from a place of confidence in who God is and who he's made you to be. Paul is sure of himself because of who God is. He's not sure of himself because of who he is. He says, follow me. And I guarantee you, the God of peace will be with you. How come we don't have more men that are willing to say that? How come we don't have more women that are willing to say that? Follow me and I guarantee you the God of peace will be with you. We need more men like this and we need more women like this. What an amazing claim that Paul is making. If you follow me, I guarantee you God Almighty will be with you. Wow. It's not the only time Paul says this. He says it throughout his writing. We've talked about it already in Philippians, but 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul says, I urge you, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. We need more men and women who are willing to say this. 
I know it's hard, but I'm willing to say it. To the men in this church, every single one of you, follow me as I follow Christ, and I guarantee you the God of peace will be with you. You can follow me in every area of my life. I will not be perfect, but I will not quit. And I guarantee you, I will focus all of my heart and attention on finding God, seeking God, serving God, and I will not lead you the wrong way. Are there any others that would say to other men, full transparency, 24 hours a day, you can follow me, open book, you won't see perfection, but I'll lead you to God. We need more. How many women are willing to say that this morning to the other women in this church? You can follow me in every area of my life. You can follow my giving. You can follow my worship. You can follow me as a wife. You can follow me as a mother. You can follow me in my study of the word. You can follow me in my worship of God. Every area of life open to you. You can follow me, and I guarantee you the God of peace will be with you. We need more. What we have is men and women who typically say, well, that's Paul. He should say that. Paul is a man just like you are a man. These women in the scriptures are women just like you're a woman. It's about full surrender and trusting in God. It's not pride. It doesn't mean that you have anything outside of God. Everything you have comes from God. That's not pride. That's confidence. Otherwise, what are you doing? If you can't even look at our own kids and say, follow me. What are we doing? What does God intend for us, church? It's a tall order. It's a big claim. One of the issues I think that I've realized is that when you try to force people to follow, that can be an issue. (laughs) But when people want to follow, man, great things happen. I'm so glad that when I got saved, there was a man worthy of following. Because I was very clear on the direction that I was going and where I was headed and the death and destruction that followed. Verse 10, we're going to close. We're going to read a big chunk here. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and I I abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This whole portion at the end of this letter is about giving. Paul's telling the church in Philippi he wants to communicate some things about giving. He's telling us some things he wants to communicate about giving. And one of the most well-known, well-coded, often tattooed scriptures, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about giving. It's not about winning the game. 
It's not about overcoming the relationship you're in. It's not about seeing your kids make it to college. That scripture, you can use it however you want, but it's about giving. Paul is saying, I know how to serve God when I have nothing. I know how to serve God when I have everything. I know how to serve God when the church has a building. I know how to serve God when the church is in the park. I know how to serve God when people are attacking me. I know how to serve God when I'm in prison. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it's about Jesus. Resources are not the primary thing. That's what the scripture is actually about when we quote it. He says, I've learned to abound and I've learned to suffer need. When you run across me and we talk about the goodness of God, how I communicate is not going to be based on my financial status this week. It's not going to be based on my 10-year retirement plan. It's going to be based on my love for God. What do we have? Let's do the most with what we got. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus said or God said to Moses. What do you got? All I got is a stick. Well, then let's use the stick. <laughs> he didn't say, well, Moses, if you had more, we could do more. He says, what do you got? Let's do it. And that's where this Philippians 4.13 scripture comes from. Then Paul tells the church in Philippi that they've been faithful financially. They've continuously supported him. He's saying, look, I've gone out. I've done all kinds of things. And none of these churches are really sending anything. They're not really giving. They're not really considering the other churches that we're trying to minister to. He says, but you and Philippi, time and time again, wherever I'm at, wherever I'm suffering, a package shows up from you guys. He says, thank you so much. But let me tell you something. It ain't about what I'm getting. It's about what you're getting. Listen to this, verse 17. It's probably one of my favorite uh, scriptures in relation to tithe, offering, giving, faithfulness. Philippians 4, 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He says, I don't need it. The church don't need it. The church ain't going to fall apart without your tithe. The pastor ain't going to fall apart if you don't send a care package when he's in prison. He's saying, it doesn't matter. It's not the gift I want. It's what abounds to your account. You're going to be changed. Your heart is going to be changed. You're going to be better off financially. You're going to understand that none of these things should be more important than God. He says, oh, when, that, when your account is full of that, it makes me so happy and joyful. It's like if there was one scripture that could change people's hearts and minds when it comes to giving, this might be it. That it ain't about who you're giving to. It's about who is giving back to you. Your account, Paul says, I want it to be full. There's so much fruit in your account. It's so good. What God does in us and through us, through our giving, is so much more important than whatever it is we think we're doing through our giving. So let's close. You made it. A little long, but you made it. Christmas around the corner. Verse 20 through 23. Now, signing off, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen, he says. So what does he say in the first part there in verse 20? Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What he's saying is, May the application of this letter in your lives bring glory to God. Like that was the whole point of the whole four chapters, right? 
He said, I got to teach you some things. I got to tell you some things. I got to encourage you. I got to convict you. I got to do all this stuff. But at the end of that, it's about glorifying God. He says, now, if you would just apply these things, receive these things, talk about them amongst each other, go home and have a life group, pray together, seek God, worship him about these things that I've written to you, God is going to be glorified. And that's what we want, he says. And then he closes by saying, give our love to all the believers in Philippi. And all the, all the believers here, they know about you in Philippi. Think about that. Remember Paul's in prison? He says, those who are of Caesar's household, right? He's in prison, and the Romans are all around him. They're all getting saved, and he's telling them, I, one day maybe you guys will meet these believers in Philippi. And these Romans are saying, well, tell the Philippians that we love them. They greet you. He says, greet each other. You're not forgotten. You're loved. You have, you have family members. You have a church all the way across the world, all the way across the city. Sounds like unity. Sounds like community. At the end, Paul wants them to know God's going to be glorified and you are connected to a body and the way that you're connected is so valuable, so important. Let's pray. Why don't we stand, bow our heads. Paul packed a punch. <laughs> In the last chapter, lots to say and I think still even more to discover as you read through it on your own and pray through it on your own. But I've been so grateful, so strengthened, so encouraged in the faithfulness of God and how far we've come. You know, this message in particular, um, Philippians chapter 4, yeah, a lot about the church, a lot about leadership. But I think as a member of a church, whether you're part of the congregation, part of leadership, pastoring, whatever it might be, having a good perspective, understanding what God is saying to the whole church gives greater understanding to what he's saying to you individually as a part of that church. It gives us greater understanding to some of the difficulties that our brothers and sisters might be enduring and going through. I think stopping to think about those things is so important. I think Jesus is the model of that, right? He's got a goal. He's got a, a plan. He's got to get to the cross. But how many times would he have to stop and he'd say, who touched me? power went out from me. Let, me. let me focus not only on what I have to do, but on this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And then he'd take a few more steps and somebody would come and say, my daughter, she's sick, she's dying at home. And he'd say, well, do you believe? Let me help you. Let me, let me go that direction and help you. It's, it's this pause that we have to take to see the bigger picture and to see others and Jesus is our great example. You know, we, we drop off our kids and instead of saying, oh man, I got an hour and a half, two hours away from them, we need to stop and say, man, I wonder about those teachers that aren't getting the word and aren't getting a break this week. They're actually serving. What about those worshipers that as they play and as they, as they sing, it's not just like they jumped up here. They've been practicing all month to usher in the presence of God. It's that pause, it's that understanding, man. This, this kingdom thing is such an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. And Paul says, I will do everything to lay hold of it. Whatever it is that, that God laid hold of me for, I'm going to strive to lay hold of that. Wherever you are this morning, I believe that there's something God wants you to lay hold of. 
And I believe that it'll cost you more to have that than anything else has cost you in your life. I believe that you have an option, like always, to be satisfied with just being saved. Salvation is such a great thing. It's such a, a great gift. You don't have to earn it. If it's real, you don't even have to maintain it. <laughs> but Paul says, tell those ladies in the church to get it right. <laughs> Leaders, get around them. Help everybody to get it right. Let's be united. Let's have community. Let's move forward. Let's gain ground. Let's lay hold of things. Let's, let's receive the promises. Let's keep pulling in the same direction. Let's pick that family up. Let's pick that couple up. Let's strengthen those kids. Let's restore order. Let's be a light in the world that they can see that things can be different. That's my heart's desire for every single one of you in this church. Pastor Gary said that, uh, that I like to wrestle. <laughs> and he's right. My heart's desire is to figure out what battle each of you guys are fighting and to fight with you and to have faith that we're going to have victory. We're going to come out scarred. We're going to come out bruised. But man, I want to be in the battle. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to ask if there's anybody here that's not saved and wants to be saved. You've kind of heard the real deal this morning that the gift is free. Salvation is free. It's already been paid for. Jesus has died on the cross for you. At the end of this rope that we've been pulling along, you will see a man who stood there and said, for the sake of everyone else, I will die. I have not committed a sin. I have done nothing wrong. I am pure. I am holy. I am righteous. But I will pay the price so that others can spend eternity in heaven in relationship with their father and their creator. And he's done that for you with just one look. All you've got to do is look up and see Jesus upon the cross. He'll call you by name. He'll tell you that you are loved and he'll save you. Wash away all your sins. Everything that you've ever done will be paid for and behind you and you can press on into your future. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, you're not sure, you want to be sure, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If you want to rededicate your life to that Jesus, to have that mind, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. For the rest of us, here's what we're going to do. Communion will go around in a minute. If there is anything that ministered to you and you want prayer, come to the altar. Prayer team will, will pray with you and pray for you. And in particular, this idea of community and unity. Those two words encompass so much as we've gone through this whole book of Philippians. You are a part of the body already. And if you want prayer for really embracing that community, really embracing unity, and just strength for what that's going to cost you, we want to pray with you. We'll have our mask on. Our prayer team will be ready. Altars are open. Communion will go around. Let's worship. Hallelujah, Lord.